0: I had a very strange childhood. Had the worst case any doctor had ever seen. My job is to keep healing. So that is the story. We all have remarkable stories within us stories of adversity, challenges, triumphs, and ultimately of healing. This is Your Health, Your Story, the podcast. Hey, Lexi. Hey,
1: Casper. How are you?
0: I'm doing well. How are you doing?
1: Doing good. It's a nice out.
0: It is a beautiful day out. Spring is finally here, right? Finally. <laughs> I know. And, and listen, I, I got to say, it's nice to finally meet you virtually. I, I mean, I've been following you for like years on Instagram, loving everything you do. You're like one of my favorite accounts. So it's finally nice to connect like this.
1: It is nice to connect. And I'm so glad that we found each other virtually, so
0: Yeah. I mean, funny story. I wasn't even on Instagram at the time I found you because we started a a product called Nataveem, and we were looking for influencers that understood like holistic medicine and nutrition and your name popped up and it was like on our list to go, like, you know, try and get influencers. And I think we went away from that because we just said, all right, let's try and build it up naturally first. Um, But I've followed you ever since and love everything you do. And you know, you're a nutritionist with a no-bullshit like filter and everything, and you just put it out there how it is. And I appreciate that because I think too many people nowadays just go with the trends, try and be just fashionable and, oh, plant-based is great and vegan is fun and this and that. And, <laughs> and that's not always the truth, right?
1: And I, I totally agree. And I think uh, part of that, like, no-filter uh, mentality came when I was actually in nutrition school. Mm. Uh, I noticed that the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, like the guidelines they were giving for food for someone with diabetes was like, like in a hospital, for example, would be like cereal, cornflakes, toast for breakfast. It was, and like pretzels for a snack. And I, I was the only person in the class that actually said something to my professor. I'm like, how is this allowed? Like, how is this approved for someone with diabetes? Like, I did not understand.
0: What was their answer?
1: They really didn't have a good answer for me. They're (laughs) like, well, what would you recommend? And I said something with protein and healthy fats, like not margarine, it's trans fats. So I just did not like, and that kind of like, it deterred me from wanting to become a dietitian. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be a real, like you said, like no filter type of nutritionist.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's one thing in nutrition school. It's another thing that doctors almost get nothing. They don't even like understand the process of carbs versus this versus that. It's just follow CDC guidelines. You got a pyramid there and just like eat what you want really. And we'll give you a pill and fix it. And that's the problematic thing. And that's why I really wanted to talk to you because I do speak with so many patients that are confused. They go to their doctors, even sometimes functional and integrative doctors and still are confused on how to eat not so much because the doctor's kind of guiding them, but because they get so much outside, they get hit with marketing, they get hit with people that say eat carnivore, eat keto, eat, you know, vegan. And, mm-hmm. and then they go inside a store, they're not usually used to cooking so much. And they go inside a grocery store. And they just don't know what to do, right? They they try and pick out healthy stuff, but the marketing's all over the place. And then You could tell them to pick up the box of whatever it is, although I don't like eating out of boxes usually. But, you know, if you're going to and you need to save some time, I understand that. But you pick up the box and you just get confused when you start to look at the label. Because half the stuff you're like, I don't know how to pronounce that. You know, the other half is like, well, is that good? Sunflowers are nice. They're sunny. Like, you know, (laughs) the oil must be good, right? So maybe you could break it down for that patient that's just like, I'm about to go to Whole Foods. I'm probably going to pick up a few things that are, you know, don't have ingredients and actually are the ingredient like vegetables and meats. Mm -hmm. And I would recommend most people do that, but you're undoubtedly going to have people that go down the 90% of the middle aisles, I say, and pick out boxes and kind of look at it and, and try and make sense of it. What's your advice to those people to like look for or look out for?
1: Right. I was just going to say, like, like you said, keep it simple make sure your foods are your ingredients for the most part. So you can see all the ingredients that are in them. Um, when it comes to like things like condiments, which like even healthy ones like hummus, for example, if you pick that up now, most of the main brands in the, in the grocery store, even in whole foods, you won't see olive oil necessarily. You'll see like canola oil, maybe some sunflower oil or soybean oil. And that's just like my Lebanese grandmother would cry if she found out that that's what they were making the, the hummus with. So Um, I mean, in that, in that type of, you know, if you're wanting to really avoid the PUFAs, like the polyunsaturated fats, which I think is a good idea because if they're, you know, they have higher omega-6 content, they, they have more than one double bond, which means they're chemically less stable. So since they've been processed and exposed to oxygen, there there's more likely of a chance of free radical damage. And that's what you want to avoid. So, um, and even chickpeas themselves, if they're not organic, they're going to be like covered in glyphosate. So I don't want to discourage people from buying like healthy condiments, but I, I think those are the things to look out for. Like those are the red flags is, you know, polyunsaturated fats, highly unsaturated fats with more than one double bond.
0: And that's um, the and- thing is, is it, Lexi, that like, no matter what you pick up and read, you're not getting to the bottom of it because it's not going to say glyphosate on it. It's not going to say that it was grown in this type or it was used in a facility that uses chemicals to clean it and doesn't really know if it gets on your food or not. It's not going to say that it has heavy metals in them or something else that happens to like, you don't get the truth when you read a label. And Mm -hmm. that leads also into the marketing. So many people that I know that consider themselves to be healthy, actually, will just look at something and it says organic on it and say, must be healthy. Like, how how do you feel about that? The marketing of, let's say, organic, the marketing of fat-free being healthy, the marketing of all these things, all these words that you throw in a box and suddenly people are like, oh, it must be healthy.
1: Right, so I think that the food marketing labels can be a little deceiving because like, for example, when people go to Whole Foods, they automatically think everything is healthy because it says it's organic. And let's take like eggs, for example, that can be really confusing because there's like free range eggs, there's, um, pasture raised eggs. There's organic eggs. Organic just means like they were fed something organic. It could still be like corn and vegetarian, like not the best thing for the chicken to be eating, but pasture raised would be like your best option because they have space to roam and eat whatever they want really. So, you know, you aren't getting the full story and it could even be, you know, natural flavors that that that's thrown in a lot of uh, foods, dairy-free foods, And natural flavor, that's like the most vague thing ever. Like the FDA is not required to say what the natural flavor is coming from. It could be coming from an animal plant, like we don't know. So like, you're not getting the full story. And I think uh, a lot of times it's like, where are you sourcing your food from? Like, do you know your butcher? Do you know your local farmer? Uh, You know, are you growing some of your foods? Are you making your own salad dressings at home? From like extra virgin olive oil and vinegar and things like that.
0: Yeah. And you know, it's funny you bring up natural uh, flavors. And, you know, I opened up uh, uh, some questions to Instagram and people wrote in. And some people are pretty funny with it because one of the questions you just answered, but I just want to throw that out there is why are natural flavors allowed? It can literally be petroleum or beaver urine. And I was like, <laughs> um, I don't know about beaver urine. I haven't heard that one, but it could be. <laughs> Who knows? Like, that's the thing. You get marketed so much that you don't actually know what it means anymore. And that Mm -hmm. makes it incredibly difficult. And what I'm I'm hearing is that if you don't know what you're putting in your body, you probably shouldn't put it in your body. And therefore, what do you do to get around that? You become friends with your butcher, with someone that grows something organically, locally, right? Um, How do you get clients then to get on board? Because that seems to many as unrealistic, you know, too much time. I, I don't know. I live in the city where are there are butchers around you, right? Everyone makes excuses, but how do you work with your clients to get past that?
1: Right. Well, like usually on the first, uh, zoom meeting with my client, we'll go through their pantry and refrigerator. The first thing I notice is either like a dairy free creamer that has vegetable oils in it and carrageenan, which is a gut irritant. So, you know, it's really about slow changes. Like we work on things week to week. Maybe we start with like cleaning out the refrigerator the first week, uh, buying some healthier options, but I like to take it slow because I've noticed that like, you know, overnight, like Rome wasn't built in a day. So you can't really make all those changes overnight and expect success. So, um, but you know, most people order their food from like Amazon or, you know, for delivery anyway, nowadays. So just switching from that to like, I mean, in the U S you can find farms and they'll deliver to you like every week. So it's, it's pretty convenient for most people to do that, to make that switch. Um, especially once they, they realize they can, that the food tastes good, it's better quality. They lose weight. They feel better when they switch to those foods because they can trust, you know, that they're not, that they're using regenerative methods. They're not using chemicals they're not using fertilizers. They're, you know, they have natural fertilizer from the ruminant animals on the soil. So.
0: Yeah. And for as confusing as it might be, if you really do your research and start to look at this stuff, you start to figure it out pretty easily. The landscape starts to be quite small and like regenerative stuff. Just look up regenerative farming delivery or something, or, you know, uh, pasture raised, you know, meat delivered or meat organs delivered, like Once you start to do that research and take just a little bit of time, it becomes a little bit easier. And the the funny and sad thing about it is people will gladly spend hours researching a car, researching mature, right? What to wear, what this, that, and spend so much time on that. And when it comes to eating somehow, they're just like, let me just go in the store and pick out something that looks easy to make. Do you think it's a lot of this starts with where you prioritize your health?
1: Yeah, I totally agree. More people are prioritizing maybe like certain socially um, hierarchical aspects that make them look like, you know, like they're living the life versus like actually being internally happy and doing what would make them shine from within, which is like sleeping earlier and maybe not on social media as much and maybe cooking more and spending the time.
0: Isn't that the thing? It's like you, you could like post cooking stuff and that that's pretty good. Like that usually gets traction. So it's like actually doing the healthy stuff is like kind of trending in the right way. But you got to do it first for the health reasons, not for like, you know, the followers and everything. And, you know, to, to go back a little bit to understanding, let's say, more of the kind of diet trends and everything right now, there's a lot of people out there that push their way that push, you know, whether that's keto, whether that's veganism, whether that's plant-based and they're just like diehard and they got their diehard fans and back them being like, yeah, we are brave hearting this, like screw everyone else. Like, where do you stand on, you know, the, the, the trend, let's say keto, the carnivore and everything. Do you find that you lean towards one or do you find like a holistic approach to each person is best?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that um, personally I'm more towards like pro metabolic, ancestral eating. So that's more about the quality of the food and the preparation of the food. Like I really like slow cooked, like gelatinous meats, like oxtail making bone marrow and bone broth. And cause I just feel like sometimes keto and carnivore, um, don't always focus. Well, keto, especially they don't always focus on the quality of the ingredients.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I would, ha- if I had to choose between the two of them would be leaning towards like more animal-based carnivore because I'm not afraid of glucose or sugar per se or carbs. Like I personally do well with them and I've personally tried keto and it didn't really work for me, but I could see why some people it it would be, you know, beneficial in the short term. Yeah. Um, but I am more like into the ancestral way of eating, like prepare your foods the right way. Like eating sourdough bread, for example, would be the best way for, to consume bread. Um, if I'm going to eat chickpeas, I want my grandmother to like soak them for days before she makes it into hummus. So, I mean, it's just the way you prepare them and like how they were grown. I feel
0: like, don't you feel like people need to study their own ancestral lines? Because again, like what you're saying is absolutely correct. You come from that more Mediterranean, you have a Lebanese background, everything, and and following that and following in the footsteps of your ancestors, in a sense, makes more sense, even genetically wise. You've been, you know, over time, your, your body sort of mutates to the environment you're given. And so that's why someone that's in a Mediterranean environment could do better on a Mediterranean you know, diet than mm-hmm. someone who's, you know, growing up in, in an Eskimo place where it's lots of fat and meat, because that's all they had. There were no kind of vegetables and olives there. So I feel, I feel like you, you got to track that back a little bit and, and go that way. Uh, when you work with people, like do, do you ever bring that idea up of like, you know, how did your parents cook and your grandparents cook and their, their great grandparents cook? Do you do you get like into that?
1: I do because I believe that, like, like you said, epigenetic factors, how your, you know, what foods your grandparents were raised on. Um, maybe for the younger people, their great grandparents. But yeah, basically, I think that it's really important to know your family heritage, what they ate and what they thrived on. uh, Obviously that's gonna change from person to person and from time period to time period. Like I'm not married to one way of eating, I'm gonna adjust it as I need to throughout my different life cycles. And I adjust it every month. Like I have foods that I eat certain times of the month and foods that I'll, you know, I'll only save for certain times of the month just because, you know, for women, I think that's also
0: pretty important. For sure. Speaking of women, what do you feel about fasting, intermittent fasting, especially for women? Cause I know sometimes that could be the hormonal imbalances of fasting mm-hmm. and it's not the same for guys as for women.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I do think that, um, it, it may work better for men with like some metabolic inflexibility, but it could, you know, not be the best thing for women. I think, I believe in intuitive fasting. Like if you're not hungry, you don't need to eat Uh, And, you know, some people will disagree. Some people say that if you're not hungry in the morning, that means your metabolism is broken. I don't know. I think that could change, like depending on the season, depending on like the weather, the climate, your geographic location. There's so many factors um, that could play a role with that. But I I kind of do lean towards like circadian sinking. Mm. So like if you're eating when it's light out, it's I think it's better than when you're eating at night. Uh, But I also don't think you should starve yourself if you're if you're hungry at night and you're in your luteal phase like a week before your period. So
0: it's a tricky thing, right, because you're asking people to, you know, follow their intuition. And so many have gotten away from their intuition, meaning, you know, their their circadian rhythms are off. They're they're you know, their lights are full on at like 11 p.m. And they're like, oh, I am hungry. Well, that's because you're still triggering things that make it seem like it's daytime. Your body doesn't even know that. And then you're going to be trying to get to sleep and digesting at the same time, which is bad for your body. And then you go into this, I'll wake up you know, sluggish and just drink caffeine and, and keep going and acidic things in my stomach and it disrupts it that way. So don't you feel that in order to eat well, it really starts with following nature and understanding your circadian rhythms and getting those back in line?
1: Yeah. I think like the sleep wake cycle and like when your body is releasing cortisol in the morning and melatonin at night, that's very ideal for your overall health. Um, absolutely. I, th- yeah. I think that, you know, the more time you spend outside, especially in the morning and even in the evening, the better you're going to sleep and wake up.
0: You know, one of the things that uh, a lot of patients, a lot of people in general talk about or, or, you know, and look at and, rightfully so sometimes demonize. I'll say is sugar, right? Refined sugar in general. That's, that's a big one. And we, we intake so much, but I don't want to harbor on that because I feel like we know that's bad. And we'll just throw that out there. Like, don't, don't eat lots of sugar. Like sodas, all that crap, like stop, cut it out. Not good for you. Not good for gut microbiome for everything it's bad. But then you get into sugar substitutes and you start to say, okay, what are we looking at here? Because people sometimes think Okay, I'll go to sugar free things. And those will be usually chemical substitutes, aspartame, splenda type things, which I'll let you answer whether that's good or bad. But when you look at sugar substitutes, what do you avoid and what do you go for?
1: Right. I mean, most sugar substitutes I avoid just because it can disrupt your microbiome in your gut. And I think having a healthy gut is key to really like having healthier appetites, not getting weird cravings. Um, like for instance, yeah, like even like the, the sugar alcohol sometimes can affect, like can give some people GI distress. And if they're not like non-GMO, they could be from made from genetically modified corn. Some of them, I think it's like erythritol and that's in a lot of like keto friendly foods or low carb breads. I've seen that in a lot. Um, so, I mean, they're not my, they wouldn't be my favorite. They wouldn't be my go-to. I still choose like a raw honey because of the benefits of, of eating honey. And I think in general, like you shouldn't be eating that much sweets unless it's like, in a, it's whole food form, like fruit. So if you are eating that much and needing a substitute like stevia or erythritol or monk fruit, like you're probably not going to be nourishing yourself. Like you're not going to be eating the most nutrient dense foods if that's the case.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. It's like, we we have this need to replace something. So we see like sugar gets replaced with, you know, Splenda, right? And then even things like I've noticed like cigarettes get replaced with vaping. It's like, it doesn't mean it's good. We're still replacing bad things for bad things here. These are not healthy actions. And that's what we got to realize because I think too many of us are like, well, it's healthy we say, yeah, it's still <laughs> unhealthy guys. Like, let's be serious here that, and if it's unhealthy, you're leading yourself towards chronic disease. That's just the truth of it. So cut that out. And I'm not against steps towards health, right? If you're going from, you know, soda to like, you know, some kind of natural juice to then water, that's okay. Right. I think there are, like you said, don't be overwhelmed by cutting everything out and going to fasting just with water and lemon juice or something. How do you get people to to get off these addictive things? Because they are addictive and they are habit forming. Like, are are there tips you give to people to be like, well, I can't just go from all this to eating vegetables as my only serving and water as my only drink?
1: Yeah, I mean, I like to focus on foods that are satiating and Mm -hmm. nutrient dense. And it's kind of like it helps to like kind of crowd out in a way, the foods that are addicting, like the hyper palatable foods from the grocery store that have, you know, they add MSG and natural flavors and yeast extract to make people addicted and all the sugar, like they actually have, I think it's called, um, a bliss point or something. The market, the food marketing, Hmm. they use like a word called the bliss point. And it's like, that's the right amount of sugar, fat, and salt that makes people addicted. So, um, if you're going to crowd that out, you have to like introduce a healthy food. That's super satiating, whether that's like, uh, even like a grass fed ribeye or burger, those are super satiating foods. And I know red meat's like heavily vilified and people are sometimes scared to, to eat it because they think it's going to cause heart disease. But if they're getting a good quality beef, and I think it's actually pretty easy to get good quality beef in this country, luckily. Um, and, if it's grass fed and grass finished, it's gonna have a very high, like a high nutrient profile and the fatty acid content's also gonna be ideal. Like it's not gonna have those pro-inflammatory fats, like even chicken, like conventional chicken, it's gonna be high in PUFA because they're fed corn and soy. So I, when I buy chicken, I, I recommend like soy and corn-free pasture raised chicken too. So like nutrient dense foods, like with, and you know, ghee and butter, some seasonings, um, whatever seasoning, like salt is very satiating. And that's great to add to foods like sea salt, because the, the less processed foods you eat, the more you could liberally salt your own food. So
0: it's like, what it comes down to, it seems like is go against everything you were taught by most of like the U S government and all like, you know, the, the FDA and everything. Cause it is, it would be like, cut down your fat, cut down your salt, don't eat too much red meat, Like all of these things are actually, it's the opposite. It's like focus on quality, eat in moderation, but absolutely you need those things for a healthy body.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and heart disease is the number one killer Um, So, and they don't really focus on foods that would, or nutrients, I should say, that would really help with protecting the arteries. Like vitamin K2 is really rich in dairy products, animal products. I think the only product that's not an animal product is some sort of fermented like nato or something that you Mm. can get k2 but that helps protect the arteries and it's not even listed in the food guidelines
0: yeah i mean it's it's missing so much (laughs) i feel like you just need to disregard most food guidelines read a few good books on it from independent sources that really know what they're talking about and then you know go with your intuition and start to eat those things and see how you feel start to eat those things that you're like, oh, I can't eat that. And I always ate margarine and, you know, sprayed on, you know, different types of oils and like, no, 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 go the ghee, get some good, you know, go with the quality. You don't need too much. You will be satiated with that. And I I think that's the best advice. I want to go with a few like uh, quick questions here that I went from Instagram and want to get your opinion on. And one of them was about uh, dairy foods and cheese in general. I heard there are heavy metals in foods like cheese and dairy. Uh, should I be concerned about this?
1: Um, I think it also just boils down to where you're sourcing your foods from. Um, cheese, I mean, I, I to be honest, like I only get it from a farm and I know like it's super, it's like grass-fed, organic. There's, they're not treated with hormones. So
0: yeah, this isn't I mean, your normal craft, like bright yellow cheese you're talking about in a box, right? <laughs>
1: that, Yeah, for sure. Like the shredded cheese at the supermarket, it has anti-caking agents, usually like aluminum or something that they use. So I would understand that that would be a concern for some people.
0: How about pea protein? Is it actually good for you?
1: I personally avoid it because mm-hmm. it irritates my gut and I'm not trying to you know, give advice to people. If that's something that they rely on for a source of protein, but I, you know, I would just recommend that it be organic and maybe sprouted to like, you know, ease the lectin content a little bit.
0: And then there's the good old oat milk that everyone loves in their cappuccinos. (laughs) Is that healthy or not?
1: Most of the oat milk brands I've seen have like canola oil or some other vegetable oil in it. And like, I've seen carrageenan as well. It's like a gut irritant. I think like for the dairy free milks, like most of them have additives, whether it's added sugar, unnecessary oils, like regular milk is just milk. It doesn't have any additives. And then they fortify it with all these nutrients that are naturally occurring in milk. So, um, I say like coconut milk is generally like the better way to go from a can because it's literally just that that's it. Just coconut milk. Yeah. If they're, if they're trying to be dairy free.
0: Gotcha. And your thoughts on kale, which has been vilified by many people recently, including Dave Asprey and others.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it either. I used to make kale chips like a while ago, and I didn't really notice the benefit of eating the kale, to be honest. And it definitely does have oxalates and anti-nutrients. And if you're trying to really nourish yourself in a world where we're already deficient in a lot of these minerals, like magnesium is is a big one, selenium like it may be best to avoid certain foods or just make sure they're cooked in a certain way that really, um, alleviates those anti-nutrients.
0: And it's the unfortunate thing. It's like, it's not even, I would say in my personal opinion, that kale is like good or bad. I think it's leaning now towards the bad because we can't get away from the fact that in our soil, there are tons of toxins, including heavy metals and other things that Mm -hmm. just are seeping in constantly because of all we use for all production of most products. And it gets into our soil and our soil sucks these days. You know, it's very hard to find good soil. And that's the thing with something like kale, it sucks it in, right? It's, It's good at that, which is normally good for sucking in all the nutrients, but it's nutrient deficient soil. It's chemically ridden soil. So it's sucking in chemicals. It's doing a good job of getting it out in a sense, but maybe then you shouldn't eat it, or you should try and find places where it's not as you know it's it's cleaner soil, but you just don't know that anymore.
1: Mm. Yeah, no, it's um, there's I'm not sure that you can really wash away the pesticides in certain foods. Like I'm not so positive that you can. That's why they have like the dirty dozen list and then yeah. the, the clean 15 and kale is one of the dirtiest there is. And I have insiders in my family that are in the produce business. And they say that organic doesn't always mean organic. Like it's not as heavily regulated as dairy and meat, meat and dairy. You can pretty much trust as far as like, if it says the labels are pretty, um, heavily regulated, but as far as the produce goes, it's not the same. And I have insider like information on that. So it's I don't always
0: know. good to have insider information because there aren't many insiders and people don't know this. They really don't. You do put your trust in, in kind of the system as a whole, the food system, when insiders will tell you like what's really going on. So that's good advice. Last question. And I've seen you post about this and I'm a big fan, but duck eggs or chicken eggs?
1: Oh, wow. So duck eggs are bigger. So they're going to have like a little bit more protein and fat. They taste better when they're not scrambled. If you just like eating them whole. So, um, like if I'm having duck eggs, I could, I could use two or three. If I'm having like chicken eggs, I like the araquana hen. It's like a blue shell and the yolk is extremely orange. So to me, that just tells me it's also stronger. Like the yolk, if you touch it with your finger, it won't like break apart. But if you buy like cage free or whatever, free range eggs from the supermarket the egg is like a little duller in color. Mm-hmm. It's maybe more yellow. You touch the yolk. It kind of breaks apart easily. That tells me that, you know, the hen was healthier that laid the one, you know, the orange yolk egg. So I don't it know. Helped. Those That's hard. Like they're both really good.
0: Oh, I love duck eggs, by the way. Yeah,
1: they're really <laughs> it's like good. My
0: goat. Yeah, you're right. They're like, they're larger. They they last longer, right? Because of that. So you can keep them on the shelves and a little bit longer than and chicken eggs would go bad. But I think what it really comes down to and what I've heard here over and over, it's really about the quality. It's about knowing too. It's about going to the farm and seeing, are those chickens actually pasture-raised, right? Are they actually getting fed like natural grain and everything they should be and not in a cage? And that's the thing, you don't know it. When you walk into whole foods you're seeing the very last step of everything you have no clue what happened before that i need mm-hmm. to i think people need to start lifting mm-hmm. veils and actually caring because people are like oh i don't want to know it's like you got to otherwise you're not in control of your health big food is and guess what big food doesn't care about your health they care about you eating as much as possible mm-hmm. and that's what i kind of like picked up on all of this year. so Thank you so much for that. Where can people learn more about you and just connect with you?
1: Absolutely. So on Instagram, my handle is at holistic underscore Lexi, L-E-X-I. I I have a website called Nutrition Intuition. That's I-N, the number two, and then I-T-I-O-N.com because I love uh, intuitive nutrition, listening to your body. I think that's something that a lot of us, it's like a lost art. So the ancestral wisdom combined with you know reading and seeing what state of the art research there is is all very important and um i probably will share some links with you so that people can like order from their farm like locally
0: please do uh, yeah so
1: that you could post
0: People need resources too. It's it's great to like actually talk about this stuff, but in the end, you and I both know a lot of people just won't do that much research or question what they're researching. So it's always amazing to have those resources. So if you're listening, we'll post that up online as well and share that with the audience and and get that over to you. Lexi, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your expertise and shining a little bit of light on how we could eat healthier.
1: Thank you, Casper, for having me. It was great to talk to you. And yeah, I hope that everyone learned something. And if you have any questions, feel free to reach out.
0: Absolutely. Thanks again.